you'd look around that campfire and in that firelight, you'd just see everybody's eyes. All their eyes were just fixed right on that guy. And that's what I wanted to be able to do. Seven minutes was a long video, but that was about the right size to tell a story. Now I think it has to be under 90 seconds. We click on something. If it doesn't grab us by the lip, we've clicked on. We've moved on. And my first videos, they were horrible. I am so embarrassed of them. But that was who I was at that time. And that's okay. What's your opinion on that? Do you think that we as hunters owe that to the hunt, our hunting heritage to present it in a light that's gonna be more acceptable to anti-hunters? The fact of the matter is we have more people dying of natural causes every day in our outdoor industry, in our hunting and fishing community. They're dying of natural causes than we are recruiting. Hey, you got a neighbor kid and you have a son that you take hunting? Get that neighbor kid to come with your son and take him hunting because it could change his life. Now you would tell a story perhaps differently than I would, but that's the freshness, that's the uniqueness of somebody's story. Hey, this is Trevin Stolzfus with Outback Outdoors and you're listening to episode 50 of Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 50 of Living Country in the City. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Man, 50 episodes. It really almost sounds weird to say. You know, it's kind of hard to believe how much this podcast and the community surrounding it has really grown in the past nine or ten months. You know, I want to thank each and every one of you that tunes in week after week. It's because of all y'all that Living Country in the City has been such a big success. And here's to the next 50 episodes about hunting, fishing, and the outdoors. Now for the Big 5-0, I'm talking with Trevin Stolzfus of Outback Outdoors. Trevin, thanks for hopping on the show with me today. It's great to be here, buddy. So, I uh, always like to start out with maybe just a little bit of your background. How did you get your start in the outdoors? Uh... In the outdoors, I think I started young. I just love to be outdoors, everything outdoors, whether it be soccer, 
football or you know whatever i didn't i was not a kid that wanted to be indoors if if it was light outside and my mom would let me i was outside and uh, of course grew up in southern new mexico um my grandpa had a farm spent a lot of time out there learned to work at a young age um work hard you know and 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 but then we we played hard too whether it's king of the hill on the haystack or whatever um yeah so that's my background into the outdoors now i my dad did not hunt and this is interesting because a lot of people don't realize this. My dad, um, he didn't have anything against it, but it just it wasn't his deal. But my grandpa, my uncles, my cousins, they all hunted. And so at a young age, I was very much – I don't know. I, I w- it was curious to me because, again, my dad didn't take me out when, he, when I was young. So I started going with, with my cousins and my uncles and my, and my granddad and – and my dad actually started hunting um, at that time, and he hunted for a couple of years. I remember deer hunting. Uh, he would go so that I could go. Um, and so then when I was uh, 14 and I was old enough to go with my grandpa and my uncles on my own uh, with my cousins, I uh, he, he, he didn't go anymore. And uh, I would go and, and hunt with them, and, and he's never hunted since. Uh, but – He's always supported my passion for the outdoors, and uh, even to this day, he runs camera for us. Um, there's a, a my Kansas whitetail hunt is reserved uh, with my dad, and he gets in the tree with me, and and he loves hunting with a camera. Um, like I said, he has nothing against it. Uh, he'll eat wild meat, you know, wild game, no problem. Uh, just it's just never his thing, but he enjoys uh, the filming and the photography aspect of it. So that's kind of my background. Um, I, I grew up in New Mexico, as I said. As I got older, I started doing some guiding, and uh, really that was kind of that next level where I was successful on my own and then being able to get somebody else who didn't have that knowledge or that background that I did and put them on an animal. To me, that was a challenge, a true challenge, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that was that next level for me. And then as I grew older – um, got married, uh, life went on. We moved to Colorado. And one of the things about Colorado that's unique, um, as a Western state, as many Western states are, is you go out your, your back door and there could be 15 different species within 30 minutes of you. (laughs) Sheep, mountain goats, elk, antelope, mule deer, whitetail. I mean, it's just boom, 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 bears, lions. So for me, when I got here, I was just kind of blown away, and I had always loved to write. Um, here's a caveat. Kids, if you want to get into the in- industry, into the outdoor industry, and you want to make hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors your life, your your job, your career, pay attention in English class. Pay Take extra grammar, uh, composition classes, and learn to write. Okay, set, get off my soapbox there. <laughs> I, lo- I love to write. I had a teacher who, who – uh, taught a creative writing class and that's what taught me to write. So, so my, my in, in the industry really was writing. And I, uh, was offered a a position as a a research editor for a, a smaller Western hunting magazine. I say smaller because anything Western is smaller (laughs) because 90% of hunters hunt whitetail and turkey. Um, but Western hunting was, was, was my world. Um, I used to get so frustrated when I would read magazines and they'd have all these whitetail articles and I would just go through the pages mad until I found a mule deer article 
because we didn't have whitetail in uh, in New Mexico other than coos deer at the, that time in our life. You know, they didn't have much meat on them, so we didn't <laughs> we didn't shoot coos deer. Um, and now I think they're an amazing animal. But that's kind of how I got my start. So I started riding, and and over time I fell in love with uh, videography and 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 a and and telling a story through the written word transferred to telling a story through through video and that was back before hd cameras and stuff like that we still were shooting on sd cameras and um my first camera cost me like 2500 bucks it was a sony pd150 i remember that it's still uh and it was one of the the best compact cameras around at the time and and so we've come a long way and and through that uh outback outdoors was formed in 2000 eight and uh we we wanted to try and tell our story a different way um and what i mean by that is is just there wasn't a lot of western based uh, shows out there matter of fact we were a web one of the first web-based shows uh, i think there were the only there was only three of us there was bill winky started midwest whitetails uh outback outdoors and then uh and the heartland bowhunter which right after that went to television um and so we our first four years were, were on the web and then and we were ended up uh, going to television also. So uh, now there's thousands upon thousands of of web shows and and YouTube and stuff like that. So it's the 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 climate has changed a little bit, but that's kind of my background. And and I I love everything outdoors. I we named it Outback Outdoors because although we were a bow hunting show. Um, we love fly fishing and we love waterfowl and we love rifle hunting. We love everything. And we wanted to be able to expand that. So if we were outback bow hunting, we knew we were going to put ourselves in a little bit of a, a crunch there if we wanted to expand and do some other things. So that's kind of my spiel. <laughs> no, you brought up an interesting point that I think a lot of people are missing uh, these days is, you know, you talked about being able to tell a story and, I think that's important. You know, a lot of people think like, oh, that that maybe only applies to to one specific medium or not. And it's, I think, really successful writers or, or whatever it is that are going to have longevity. It's the one thing they all have in common is they understand it's not just, yeah, there there's times when you just want to show, okay, here's some footage, here's a kill shot, you know, and here's me packing out whatever I, I just shot. But what's really lasting and what really has longevity are, are the people that know how to tell a good story and, and get the viewer engaged or the reader engaged. And that, that really is universal to whatever medium you're putting it on, whether you're, it's a story in a magazine, whether it's a TV show or just a, a, a video, a, a series of web clips, you know. Uh, right. Well, it, it in podcasts. I mean, a podcast is no different. You got to be able to. You got to be able to take that listener and, and engage them. And and you know, I think it's important. I, I I think there's a with television. Television has really come a long way. Well, you know, back when when I started, there wasn't outdoor television. It was just getting started. Other than like, uh, I think TNN. Uh, Hank Parker, there was some old, uh, you know, old TBS, I think, would show on Saturday mornings, there'd be a couple of hunting shows. Um, but it's not like it is today, where you have, you know, two or three different networks. And, and, uh, uh, you know, you have all of these, it was if you wanted something, you ordered the VHS tape. I mean, that's what you did. Uh, I remember sitting and watching Primos, um, you know, elk hunting, 
the truth. Um, and I just couldn't wait every year till that next one came out. And I still have those VHS tapes. I don't have a VHS player, but <laughs> I have those VHS tapes. And and I think uh, telling a story through video has has changed too. I think there we the pendulum has swung into into this way. Back in the day, it was whack'em. I, I call it the whack'em and stack'em mentality. You got think critters hit the ground, boom, 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 boom. But you didn't know why. You didn't know where they were at. You didn't know how they got there. It was literally just a slaughter fest, and um, that was the style. And over time, it the pendulum has swung to more of a cinematic now. In my opinion, I think there's a somewhere in the middle is where you need to be. Um, there's a good balance of, of of that, but then it swung all the way over to here where it's it's not really hunting. Um, it's more emotional and 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 about the journey, which I, I'm all for. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think connecting with your raw uh, emotion, uh, your that that hunter. Uh, gatherer type of mentality that we're all bred at least you know most of the people i know have that and it's in them they don't know why they don't know why that they want to see what's over that next ridge or or if they want to you know uh, pick up a stick and a string and match match their wits against this amazing majestic uh, woodland creature (laughs) you know it's just there and um you know but you swing too far that way and then it's all it's all about me and and so for me, uh, I think there's something in the middle. I, I think uh, it needs to be done well. Cinem- I'm a big fan of cinematography. I'm a big I'm a big school, not just of hunting and and, and outdoor industry type films. I I watch Discovery Channel. You you know history. Heck, I'm I watch movies like crazy, and I'm always looking at shots. So I'm getting off tangent here, but <laughs> basically. That storytelling ability has changed, and I think it's kind of coming back. And 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 there's no right or wrong. There's only your tastes. I mean, you might be a guy who, and I have a buddy named Jordan, Jordan Brown, and he actually interned for us and then worked for us for a while. And Jordan did not care for, the, and still doesn't. It's not his favorite, the cinematic type of stuff. He wants to see animals hit the dirt. That's all he cares about. <laughs> right. Whereas you have other people that, that that it's you know the slow motion and the and the beautiful shots and time lapse and stuff like that, and I think it all tells a story. Um, and and again, not one not one is better than the other. I'm just that's just my taste. And, and as a as a producer, as a director, as a, as a as a filmmaker, when I'm doing that, that's that's what I'm looking for. But yeah, storytelling is pivotal. Uh, uh, here's a great example. Uh, we were involved in the Full Draw Film Tour last year. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's it's a it's a great. You get to go to a movie theater, you have a few beers, and you get to watch on the big screen guys hunt, bow hunting like you do. And it's 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 a great place for camaraderie. They travel all over. And one of the films last year, we had a film in there, it did really well. Uh, one of the films, I, I I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. It's hardworking hunter is the producer. And uh, anyway, it is a film about some fires in an area in Idaho, and he had two. Him and his dad had a, a mule deer tag, and they go in and they don't find this buck they've been looking for, and so they end up going to look at how the fires. I mean, how, how devastating were the fires? And they find these two bucks, and they're scorched and they're burnt, 
And they're not the best bucks. They're not these massive bucks they've been scouting all summer. No. But he took him and his dad went and killed those bucks, hung their tag on it because of the raw emotion and concern and love caring for for the country, for the animal. Uh, it was just amazing. Not very well shot, not very well edited, no color correction at all, hardly. Uh, the audio wasn't very – you know, all of the things as a filmmaker you pick apart, best film there by far. Why? Because the storyline was solid. And um, so for me, that's a great indication of – Take a guy who's able to take a story and tell it, and he might not have the most expensive camera. He might not have the best editor around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yet that story is so compelling. You can look at all these other pieces that are better shot, better directed, better whatever it might be, however you want to put it. Audio is mastered beautifully, and, and then the color is, is gorgeous. It doesn't matter. It's all about storyline. So if you're sitting around a campfire with your buddies, there's always one guy in there. He can tell a story like nobody else in there. <laughs> always. I mean, that might be you. That might be you. But for me, I was always drawn to how that person, whether it's an old cowboy or, you know, whatever, telling a story about the good old days, how they told their story and how you'd look around that campfire and in that firelight, you'd just see everybody's eyes. Maybe some mouths were open. All their eyes were just fixed right on that guy. And that's what I wanted to be able to do. No, that's that's just uh, – if you happen to remember the name of the, the Full Draw Film Tour entry, let me know. Um, I'll try and see if I can hunt it down and make sure to link to it on the show notes page uh, if it's available online. But it's – you met, you know you you talked a little bit about how we're swinging you know a little bit more from you know the bodies hitting the floor if you will um yeah. to the more cinematic style and i wonder if that's because to some extent of the accessibility of these videos now to where before it was something you really had to seek out you had to go you know buy the dvds buy the vhs tapes um versus now it's something that's it's so much more widespread. I wonder if a lot of that transition has also been because it's being seen by a lot more people that are not quite as as familiar with hunting or as, as directly interested in hunting. They may be coming across this, and now because of that, we want to show more of a holistic experience uh, surrounding just that kill versus, you know the some like you said some hunters just want to see exactly how somebody dropped that deer or dropped that elk or dropped that antelope whatever it is um right i wonder if that has to do with just the the widespread reach and accessibility of these hunting videos now i mean you go on youtube there, there there's no doubt there's no doubt yeah i mean look at look at what you've got accessible back in the day you didn't have well you might have had YouTube, you, you had Vimeo, you had uh, – Facebook was just starting out. But I think what's happened is there's been a switch in the way people consume uh, content. Now, I will still say this. Having researched this immensely, uh, there is a definite plus for television. Um, let, let, me, let me take off my 
producer's hat and put on my businessman hat for a second. Um, my job is to partner with great companies and help get their uh, products in front of prospective buyers. Okay, right? I mean, that's what partnerships are, sponsorships are. Yeah. Um, uh, I shoot a Hoyt bow. Hoyt doesn't think I'm that attractive. They don't think that I'm the best <laughs> shot in the world, okay, personally. But what they do like is they do like the reach and the exposure for people who are their possible customers looking to purchase a bow. Okay, enough said there. Back in the day, you did have YouTube, you had all that. But now there's so many – there's so much more content and – these, the younger generation is so tied into social media and uh, and getting – and they're so used to getting their content from the web versus television. Uh, I'll, I'll put a cutoff. That's 30, 30 years and, and younger, let's say, and I'm making this totally up, so I'm probably <laughs> – like, but, but I'm just saying, let's say 80% of their content is consumed off of the internet. Um. As you get the older, the cool thing about the 50-plus, 50 50-year-old 50 plus age bracket is most of them have a lot more expendable income. So you tell me, 22-year-old, just out of college or about to be out of college, 52-year-old whose daughter just graduated college and is actually working her own job and maybe is married, whatever, out of the house. He's not paying for college anymore and has all this more expendable income. Which one's going to be that that customer, readily customer, uh, or readily uh, available to purchase from you know a, a eight to to twelve hundred dollar bow? Okay, so there is a consumer that is devouring content that's on the lower age, but they're not necessarily the customer. Of the see what I'm saying? I mean, let's not fool mm -hmm. ourselves. I don't do this to show what a great hunter I am. I do this because I love adventure and telling a story. But but I can do this because I partner with with companies and can help promote their brand and hopefully represent uh, you know that lifestyle brand in a positive light. Um, but what we're finding is through this content absorption, like you're saying, there's so many more avenues. Okay. But the true consumer, the true uh, gentleman or, or, or a gal that has the expendable income tends to be on the older spectrum. And guess where they get their content? 80% television still. <laughs> so, it, you know, I mean, there is a switching of the guard here. Um, but, you know, you can't throw out television. It, it is a viable a viable way to reach the, the masses versus the – but you can't have one and not do the other. I think it's got to go hand in hand if you're going to really reach the masses. Um, with that being said, I also think with that younger generation and the and that content being devoured so readily, it has to be short. I think uh, 10, 10, 12 years ago, I think the, the average time on the web, let's say when we were doing our videos – and we did the Google Analytics and all that. You know, seven minutes was a long video, but that was about the right size to tell a story. Now I think it has to be under 90 seconds. Why? It's because our attention span has gone. We click on something. If it doesn't grab us by the lip and hook us right away, we're on. We've clicked on. We've moved on. We might not even get to the meat of it. So 
in a way that's sad because our attention span is decreasing and 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 sometimes you can't tell a good story in 90 seconds sometimes you need 7 minutes sometimes you need 22 minutes like a television <laughs> show i'm serious oh yeah to, to develop the storyline and to tell it properly um i'm a snob when it comes to my stories i want to tell them the way i want to tell them and if i have to tell it in 2 minutes in order to get a, a viewer audience that frustrates me i'm like dude don't just just give me your attention for seven minutes and you will not be sorry. But that's just not how the world works. So <laughs> sorry. I, oh, no. Get out my little soapboxes here. It's funny because well, because I noticed that in myself, even, you know, it's I I will, you know, Instagram stories mm -hmm. like those things have ruined me. But I, I find myself like I'll be going through, you know, I'll be checking out what everyone's doing and. You know, you can kind of see at the top, it tells you, it has like the little dashes that tell you how many stories there are in this one person's right. thing. And, you know, I'll go through and, you'll, you know, you'll see three and I'll watch them. And, and then all of a sudden I'll see one that's like a bunch of teeny little dots, like 40 teeny little dots. And they're obviously like either on a rant or, or telling some story or something's going on. And I don't care how interested I am in that person. I, if I see that many dots in a row, that many stories, I'm like, I do not want to commit to this. <laughs> I do really? not. I get so. That is so interesting. It's because my whole. Inst and, and it's like, I could be super interested. It takes a lot. Like in that first, like maybe two videos on that, on that story run, you have to have some seriously compelling reason for me to want to stay for the next like 10 minutes. That makes and sense. That makes sense. I understand that. To be honest, though, I'm also not going to my Instagram stories for content that I want to sit and commit to. Like, I want, I want quick hits. You know, uh, if I'm going to go consume content, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to go to YouTube. I'm going to go to Vimeo. I'll sit down on someone's website, or I will. I'll pull up my you know outdoor TV app and I'll watch a show. I'll pull up Netflix and watch watch right. something up there. You know sit down and listen to Steve Rinella talk about uh, glassing for coups or something. But um, I just, All yeah. Right. What, what's your, what's your favorite is Steve is media your favorite podcast. Oh, as far as my favorite podcast, that's tough. Um, right now it would honestly be uh, between the rich outdoors. Cody Rich's podcast. Um, I've done his podcast. He's a great guy. I, I like, I like Cody's podcast because I you can just read like he's he's super excited and interested and in wanting to learn from his guests, which is to some extent where I'm coming from. So I really identify with that. I connect with that. Right, sure. And you can sense that coming from him. You know, he's super excited and interested in the people he's interviewing. Um, and the the other one that uh, is fairly new that I've just been obsessed with is uh, Aaron Snyder's new podcast, Kafaru Cast. Um, I mean, just it's, you know, it's Aaron. He just no, no bull, um, says exactly what he thinks. And, you know, yeah. uh, there's some, there's just some really good solid info in a lot of those podcasts. Aaron, Aaron, um, is one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met about a lot of different subjects. My favorite podcast right now is probably gritty, gritty Bowman. And, I, I'm not a podcast guy, but I've gotten more into it, and here's why. I think there's something about Brian Call that is non-threatening, 
uh, I've met him in person. He's the same guy. You know what I mean? He's, he's yeah, one of those guys that totally. is, is, yeah. And, um, whether Aaron's on there or not, I don't, I don't, that doesn't make me listen or not listen. Um, but what I will say about Brian is he covers everything. He doesn't hold any punches. He, he's not scared to talk about things that are, oh man, that's, that's kind of not PC or whatever. You know, I mean, I yeah. just, and, and I, he's easy to listen to. And I don't know if I can even put why that is other than, um, I, and it happened after I met him. So I think part of it was getting to know him a little bit. I don't know him very well, but I do know him a little bit. And, 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 uh, I'm a fan of him. Does that make sense? Like I met him and I'm yeah. like, dude, I, I could meet with this guy. Um, so that's where it's, it's been. And I'm so busy. The only time I listen to podcasts is if I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I don't just say, oh, I'm going to sit down and w- listen to podcasts. No, cause I've got three pieces I need to edit or I, you know, I need to go through this or I need to do whatever I need to write, you know, but I, I, I think, I think the generation that we're at, and here's the interesting thing. A lot of those podcasts could be 90 minutes or 120 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And here we were just talking about with video that 90 second range. So what is it about podcasts versus Instagram stories? And I and, and the, what made me think of Brian, again, was you were talking about Insta stories. I love his Insta stories because, again, I identify with the person and he's just a normal guy. I mean, like we all are. I mean, nobody's special um, uh, other than, you know, maybe Cameron Haynes, but (laughs) he's just a freak um, (laughs) in a good way. Absolutely. I know. I ran ran camera for him, so I, I, yeah. Uh, But, uh, you know, Aaron Snyder's another one of those guys who's just over the top and and not over the top in a bad way. He does exactly. He does what he says he does. I mean, he's not Mm -hmm. selling you smoke and mirrors. He's the real deal. Um, But so – Brian, I love following his Insta stories and I've been trying to do more of mine on mine. My problem is I don't hunt where there's a cell phone signal hardly at all. Yeah. It's very rare where we're hunting somewhere where there's a signal. And like I just went on a a hunt with my daughter and and she didn't kill, but uh, it was just so unique to get her perspective on that hunt and to document it through her eyes. And so that's kind of cool. But you're right. It was a lot of them little dots, you know, across the top. And I do see that people start following. And then when you go to the last one, it's dramatically lower than the first one. Oh, yeah. And that's got to be an attention thing. So uh, I always it's it's always interesting whenever I post, you know, I, I don't do a ton of Instagram stories. But when I do, I usually get a few in a row um, just because that's where my mind is that day. <laughs> it's like my mind will be on it. So I'll see something. I'll be like, oh. Instagram story. Oh, Instagram story. Um, but I notice, and I always kind of figure out my percentage drop off, uh, rate. And I notice it's pretty consistent from if I have four stories in a row, I'll notice it's a pretty consistent, whether it's, you know, 10% or 5% or whatever it is, uh, whatever that day is. It's very, very consistent from each story down. Uh, I, I think they should, I think they should call it Insta chapters. Hmm. Because really, in 24 hours, you're telling one story, aren't you? I mean, at least that's the way I do it. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm using it wrong. But it's – I mean, each one of those is just a little chapter. And and again, following uh, Brian Call, uh, uh, Gritty Bowman, 
if you haven't check it out it's 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 interesting um i see that and literally there was one thing that he was hunting i can't remember what he's hunting but for some reason i got hooked in and um and compelled to follow along with him and i wanted him to kill oh i know what it was it was montana elk and he had passed on this bull earlier and so I'm following this throughout the week, not just that one day. And uh, it was just amazing because, I mean, I wanted him to kill a bull so bad. <laughs> and, and and the funny thing is I had just gotten back from a, an elk hunt in Kentucky, and um, and I'd killed a nice bull and everything. And I just I, – it, like it was like I was there. And so for me, that's what I want to emulate, what I want to do, whether it's film – whether it's television shows, whether it's short little video clips, whether it's Instagram, Insta story, whatever. I want to take you and I want to bring you in, but you're not cold, you're not wet, you're not tired, but you feel that same exhilaration, that same adrenaline rush, uh, or at least a taste of it, you know. So anyway, that's my spiel. And maybe I'm doing it wrong. I mean, maybe maybe what you're saying, it, it makes a good point that if you can keep those Insta stories shorter, more concise, and then the next one, maybe you're on to something different. But for me, it's a great way to hook people. And I've gotten emails on this that they lo- they do like it when I do that. So I don't know. I think I think it's different for everyone. Well, yeah, and I don't I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. And it's it's however you feel like you want to reach um, your audience you're the people that are interested in what you're putting out the best way to reach them is whatever works you know it's uh yeah. so i don't think there's necessarily a right way to do it and i think it's it's super situational too where you know what if they're if it's the first series of instagram chapters if you will um I'm probably am more likely to maybe watch uh, one or two extras that are a little bit longer versus if I've kind of just been scrolling through and it's like the 20th Instagram story and I just haven't kept up on them that day or whatever it is, I, I am probably more likely to skip through them. So it's super situational and it's, you know, I feel like it's different for each person. It depends on my mindset, you know, okay, am I, am I checking out these Instagram stories while I'm walking to lunch or something, or am I checking them out when I've got home from work and I just want to decompress for a while. And I, and I am in the mood to just sit and watch something for a little bit. Um, Hey, let let me ask you one question. Do you have to watch the whole thing to be, you know how you can look and you can see the views and and you can see who saw it and who's following along. Do you, if you skip through, are you logged in as, as watching it or, or do you have to watch that in order to be, you know, listed? I, that's something I've always wondered. I'm pretty sure if you like say I watch about a second of it and then I tap to the next video and I watch a second tap to the I'm pretty sure that that shows in the analytics or whatever of of that person that you've viewed that video. But then I think if you swipe away it shows you as not using that video cuz it gives you the stats oh. now on the back end okay. of whether or not right. you can swipe I got you. Whether, how many people swiped away or whatever from your story and um, golly that's it's so hard you know and one thing we can't forget is that that doesn't define who we are and i think in this younger generation i i worry about it. i have a 12 year old daughter and uh, she doesn't have a phone i'm not gonna let her have a phone till she's 33 um, 
but you know she doesn't have a phone she's not allowed to to be on snapchat no instagram but what i see in her friends that are involved especially young girls is the emphasis that they put on who they are through the results of what they're getting and that saddens me um and i hope that if i can encourage anybody out there who's younger that uses that 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 does not signify whether or not you have worth whether that story was interesting because people are busy and they have a they have an attention span that is diminishing rapidly even more so so i i guess my thing is i i worry that we're raising up a a generation that is weighing their significance on likes and views and um that scares the crap out of me. Can I say crap on this? <laughs> yeah, you can. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause it does, it scares the bejeebies out of me because what about, you know, that kid that is passionate about sharing his hunting story. And I look back at my first videos, they were horrible. I am so embarrassed of them, but that was who I was at that time. And oh, yeah. that's okay. And so we get, and I catch myself doing it too. So, we catch ourselves being the critic and, you know, here I am. I've been doing this for a while and I look at somebody else's piece that they, they work their butt off and I just tear it to shreds as a critical filmmaker. Where on the other side, this is that person's heart in a video, what they were feeling, what they, you know, and they're trying to communicate the best they can. So, you know, if, if I'm reaching out and I'm saying my significance comes from, how many people listen to this podcast, for example? Hey, we're in a world of hurt, you know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to weigh your uh, weigh well, your significance this, on. You know what I mean? I know. I know. It, it be anything. It could be a, a, a picture I put up that I'm really proud of. Like, I mean, I worked hours on editing, you know, and Photoshop, and I'm trying to get everything just right. And I'm no Stephen Drake, or I'm no Mark Seacat. I'm, you know, I'm just not. That type of photographer. That's why I have Dustin and, and and Garrett who work with us here on on Outback Outdoors, and those guys are amazing. I I'll edit a picture, and then they'll edit the same picture, and I'm like, yeah, I just wasted two hours of my life. <laughs> really good, and mine sucks. Um, but I think that's it's part of learning. But I, I I think with that shorter attention span, do you think that translates to to how they hunt in the field? Because let's be honest, hmm. there's sometimes. You have to sit for hours, maybe behind glass or or uh, in a tree stand if you're hunting whitetail. And if you have a short attention span and you get bored and you're not in the moment, what the heck are you doing out there? Because you're going to miss everything it is, you know, that it is to be. We talk about it. We wait for it all year long to be able to get up in the hills, put that backpack on and bust our butts up that ridge line breathing, hawking a, our lungs out, whatever it might be, right? And if we don't embrace that moment and, and, and live in that moment and our attention span's too short, don't we, we miss out? Anyway, I, I, I think that there could be a danger there. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. 
Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. See, I definitely think that that could be a possibility as far as peeling back that, uh, you know, that attention span or that willingness to to stay focused for longer periods of time. But I also think with that, you know, once again, bringing it back to how you said the pendulum has swung back more towards sharing the whole experience versus just those kill shots. I think, I, I mean, I don't know if that balances it out or what, but I think the, a lot of the content we're creating is focused more on the lifestyle and the experience of the hunt now. So people, are seeing that versus just seeing the kill shots where I think if, if people were just seeing the kill shots and, and it was just, you know, one Instagram story of, of, of antelope falls, deer falls, elk falls, moose falls. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it was just that, then I, I would definitely have a huge concern. Um, but I think, I think to some extent, the type of content balances out, out how we're consuming it. But you know, and that's and this has absolutely no basis in any sort of research or or fact, but just my observations. Yeah, your 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 opinion matters. I think uh, you're a student of the game. You you come and what I love about your perspective is you're you don't have, you're not putting on any airs. You came from a background that wasn't since you were five. You've had a gun in your hand and you've been squirrel hunting. No, you came into this with a fresh perspective, fell in love with something, and now you've taken that to the next level. And you're continuing to to consume knowledge and, and, and turn around and put that into action in the field. And that, I think, is the key to any athlete, to any student, to any successful businessman. And um, so I think you're a good representative to somebody – on the other side of the fence who doesn't hunt, who's looking over going, hmm, that looks interesting. You can bridge the gap. Me, yeah, I try, but I have been doing it since I was young. And then, the, you know, even the kid that's dad was real into it, you know, I mean, that's even harder to bridge that gap. And so I think it's important. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna throw something at you because I want your opinion. Uh, ben O'Brien, who works with Yeti and is a good friend of mine, posted something the other day on Instagram, and I love – following uh, him on Instagram because he has a, a lot of experience. He's a great writer and um, he communicates his thoughts really well and he's a great guy. And he put something on Instagram talking about the grip and grins. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, 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 tr- we call them trophy photos, right? Yeah. Um, so you've taken, you've worked hard, you've killed this elk and here you are, you're all smiles and you're, and you're, I mean, you're so happy, right? Yeah. And he posed this, this, quandary this this quagmire perhaps in the industry and it doesn't matter how we as an industry look at it It really matters as how everybody as a whole looks at it and everybody as a whole looks at this guy with this dead animal grinning what is it what do they they think that's just a bloodthirsty so whatever right you know um that's the opinion of a lot of non-hunters now he went on and explained why the grip and grin even exists in the back in the day, especially with print media. Um, it was a way to show the finality of a hunt 
and also incorporate your sponsors or your, or, or, or your partner's products and show how you use these products to gain this result. And guess what? You're happy, right? Yeah. So there it became the grip and grin. He posed that we don't do that anymore. We never post a picture with this goofy or this over-exuberant smile on our face with a dead animal, but rather the respect that we really have because we all we, – when we hunt, we truly respect those animals because hunters are the biggest conservationists. I mean the reason the deer numbers – in the United States, we're less than 100,000 in the 1900, you know, early 1900s, and now are over in the millions. Is because of deer hunters. Same to elk. Same with turkey. Same with you know ducks. Um, and so his thought is, it doesn't matter what you and I think about it because we're already pro hunting. We love that. We understand. It's more about the people that are on the fence or even against hunting, and because there's a bigger, there's a pretty big. Uh, body of individuals that are looking over the fence at us going what the heck are those guys doing um so what's your opinion on it? do you think that we as hunters owe that to the hunt our hunting heritage to present it in a light that's going to be more acceptable to anti-hunters or do we stand our ground and say i don't care what the anti-hunters think and i'm happy and i'm going to pose with this animal well what say you it's it's definitely uh it's definitely a fine line. I mean, first and foremost, I think regardless of what you do, whether whether you're posting the grip and grin or not, whatever you present, it has to be presented in a light that's respectful to the animal. You have to decide, once again, it's storytelling. You have to decide what story you're telling, first and foremost, before you post anything, whether it's a simple Instagram photo or whether it's a video or something you're writing, you have to decide what story you're going to tell. And you have to be a good storyteller. You have to realize like, okay, yeah, I want to show, I want to show my excitement over being able to participate in the life cycle of this animal and feed my family. And okay, yeah, you want to show that excitement, but maybe just like you said, a goofy grin holding up a rack isn't the best way to do that. That's part of the story, but maybe that's, you know, now you can post multiple images in an Instagram. Maybe that's the last image you post in that series of photos. Um, I, I remember, I think it was Cam Haynes that talked about, he talked about it one time, his his kind of formula for how he presents a hunt or a, a kill shot where he'll start and he'll talk about, you know, post about being on the hunt. Then he'll... He'll post, uh, you know, show show the experience and show everything he's doing and the hard work he's putting in. Then he'll, you know, then maybe he'll talk about like, oh, here's what I'm doing with the meat afterwards or, you know, the, the work I'm putting in afterwards. And the last thing he posts is that kill shot or the grip and grin. And um, it's, I don't really have an answer one way or the other about whether or not we should do that. I think that's up for each individual to do. I think when we, if one thing I, I definitely think if you do post a grip and grin, like people talk about it all the time. I, I know Brian's talked about it. I know uh, Corey's talked about it. I know, you know, just about everyone, um, you know, take a minute to think about what you're doing, you know, don't, 
don't leave the giant gaping, you know, hole from your broadhead bub- bubbling up with blood. Cut out the tongue. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and, and I actually did an article uh, two years ago, I think, for Hoyt's website on taking field photos. And uh, part of respecting the animal, I agree with you on that, is is presenting it in the best light you can. Uh, people ask me. I have stacks of antlers uh, where I've skull capped things, and and they're just stacks of antlers. I don't mount a lot of animals because for me, I think that last field photo with that animal for me is something that I treasure more dear than a head on a wall because that was the last time before I broke that animal down, before I cut that animal up, before I put that animal in my belly, (laughs) that was the last time that animal was in its environment in its entirety. Um, And, you know, uh, you can get off on the sustenance, the organic, you can get off, we can talk about that for, for hours, but, just the respect that I that is due. I, I agree with that. But on the flip side, I don't know how much I owe or how much either posting. Uh, you see this. The guys take their hat off. They look like they're praying over the animal. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if they're trying to revive it. And, and <laughs> again, or, but to me, that's not one of my favorite images. And here's why. I feel as it's forced. Mm-hmm. I feel as it is just as bad as the guy with the bow over his ha- his head you know and he's got that rack in one hand and he's doing this can be conceived as inappropriate um and i do, i've taken pictures like that myself because of the and it was all natural in the moment because it, i killed a buck in nebraska a couple of years ago with a, a stick bow and um i was i couldn't believe i'd done it i couldn't believe it worked <laughs> i was so blown away and um, but I, it could be perceived as an arrogant um, look at me, look at me, look at me. I don't I don't respect this animal and I would never want that. Um, but on the flip side, I don't know that an anti hunter who's against hunting for reasons that they don't really know. A lot of them don't couldn't sit down and say, well, here's why I'm against hunting. I you know, I and I wish they would. I don't want you to hunt because I watched Bambi when I was four years old and I identify I've overhumanized that animal. Okay, that's a real answer, but you're not going to get that from most of them. Um, and uh, so with the movement of organic and, uh, you know, all of this meats and, and knowing where your meat comes from, this big movement now, which I'm, I, I love, uh, I love the fact that my 12-year-old daughter knows that if we go and pick up a package of steaks at the store, something died to get it, give that to us. Okay. I love that. Um, and I prefer to have a freezer full of meat of animals. I know where they came from. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, I, I don't know that that picture is going to sway that anti or not. Will they use it for fodder to throw at us ammunition to, to accuse us of being bloodthirsty killers? Yeah, sure. But they're going to use any shot of a dead animal where a hunter's in it that way. Whether your hat's off and you're praying or you've got a smile and you're, you know, so that's kind of my two cents. I do see both sides of that. And I do think if anything, this conversation does is it where it raises the awareness of how we how we pose ourselves as hunters and um, conservationists. 
And when you're a taker, 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 guess what you're going to communicate? You're a taker, dude. You're not a freaking conservationist. You're a taker. You're no different than any other, you know, redneck hillbilly shooting out of their pickup, hoping they don't spill their Budweiser in their lap. Well, that's the common. That's what that's what we're looked at when people. A lot of people that aren't hunters think of hunters. That's what they think of. And so, anytime we can raise that awareness, change that image. I I'm I'm a hundred percent with it. I just hope that we as hunters don't start getting onto each other as we do for guys that hunt with a rifle versus guys that hunt with a bow versus guys that hunt with a trad bow. The infighting in in our industry makes me want to pull my hair out. It's like, come on, we've got bigger battles to fight. You know what? Feel free, infight as much as you want, but let's save that until there's no more anti-hunters and that's not an issue. Right. Let's, uh, (laughs) because that's going to happen. Right. But yeah, no, I think... You 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 made a point where it's like the there's the the picture of the it's like I can yeah it's like praying over the animal or you know you're cradling its head in your hands and and I've seen them where you look at them and you're like come on how it it just feels tacky um and and so over the top but then I've I've also seen uh my friend Jessica follow follow her arrow she is uh she was a guest on the podcast uh before she uh there's a picture from uh, one of her recent bear hunts um it was it was just it was a super candid picture where she was you know she got her bear and she is she's holding she's holding its head in her hands and she's got her face right up to it and it's it, but it's you can tell it's like a candid it's not I don't know. It wasn't this really set up posed photo. And I think, I think, you know, we obviously, you know, anti, like you said, anti hunters are going to use what they use and we're not going to be able to stop them in that way. But we don't, you know, when people try and pose stuff like that, they don't give everyone that's viewing this content enough credit to. Right. Right. They're like, Oh no, they're totally going to believe that I, you know, that this is completely genuine and not at all posed. I'm like kind of like how do if that's if that's not a pose shot how'd you get that on a on a solo hunt then <laughs> now that that makes a good point now we have two camera guys usually on every hunt and one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is our lifestyle photographs so photographs within the hunt um a situation where I and it's fun for me because I can look back and and photos tell a story just like just like video does um and I look back at some of the raw stuff and I can see the progression of the hunt and some of the candid, uh, some of the candid shots captured, you know, with the click of a, a click of a camera, you're like, ah, it takes you right back to that moment. And um, so, some of my favorite shots, I didn't even realize. Shot, it, it, some of them aren't me. Some of them are Adam or Dave or something like that. But they were, they didn't know that the camera was being used. It was, you know, that the, the, the shutter was being closed they didn't know they were just taking it all in and we were able to capture that now again there are some times where we've done some stuff and and some of it has to do with sponsorship some of it are you're doing a lifestyle type shot and um and we take a lot of pictures you know after we have something down um but we try and make it as natural as possible trying to utilize just like ben said in his in his instagram post that it started out because it was a way to creatively show 
the products that helped you be successful in the hunt without saying, I killed this because of my gold tipped arrow, my gold tip arrow tipped with the wasp bread out of my Hoyt bow. You know, I mean, (laughs) you know, and and God bless Uncle Ted, but Uncle Ted's the, he is the epitome of, of the, uh, just sponsorship one after the other. And, you know, the fact of the matter is I probably could have killed that animal with a number of other products. Okay, so we want to show this is what I use, this is what I trust, and this is the result, but not shove it down your throat because I don't, I just don't think that works for marketing anymore. I think it's, uh, and I don't know if it ever worked. We thought it did for, at one time. <laughs> I remember back in the day, and I don't know if you if you were around at, at this point, but back in the day, your whole thing was uh, uh, there's a knife company out there that I'm not going to mention its name, but one of the things they would say is if they're going to sponsor you and we we decided not to to do anything with them just for this reason was that you had to show their knife and mention their knife x number of times and um and i'm like but that's not natural i you know and it wasn't a creative shot no it was a hi my name is trevin and i used a such and such you know here with this dead bear or, you know yeah. whatever and it's almost trying to implement that connection between the knife brand and that's why I'm successful, which a knife is great, but it's not like it's my main tool for hunting. <laughs> my main tool is a rifle or a muzzleloader or a bow, or I'm going to probably be more successful with that than a knife. But the knife is very vital when I need to break that animal down. And so for us, it was always, and we still hold this, you know, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do an infomercial. People see right through that. And that goes back, I think, to some giving the hunt, not just the animal, the hunt, some respect, giving the viewer some respect. Now, viewers aren't stupid. One of the shots I hate more than anything is recreations. I hate recreations. I hate when a guy comes up with his rifle and the cameraman's behind him and he comes up and instead of zooming out to that animal or getting on that animal, the next frame you see is – the cameraman comes in front of the – like he walked out in front of the hunter, you know, and, and now he's really trying to concentrate on finding that animal. And you know dang straight that he's already shot the animal and it was a bunch of recreates. I hate those. One of our standing rules is we don't do recreates. We don't do reenactments because, number one, I'm not a very good actor. And I cannot portray that true image of – uh, the look on my face, the the uh, the my eye, the way my eyes are focused, I I can't fake that that adrenaline like you can when you're about to you come to full draw and you're trying to anchor in and trying to figure out which pin is you know you need to use and 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 uh, there's all of these things going on you can't recreate that when you all of a sudden now in slow motion you're going out in front of the bow come on. That's done. That didn't happen. You'd blow that animal out of, the, you know. And and the thing is, is I don't think our viewers like that. Perhaps they used to, but I think now it's it's much more. If you're taking them there, like they're standing over your shoulder, and everything is real. And yeah, maybe it's shaky. Maybe it's a little out of focus. But that's what it was. And they can. I think they can identify with that more than when. Uh, then if we're going back, the lighting's different. It's a different day. Let's say it was 
real overcast. And then all of these recreates or these reenactments are done, and it's there's not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> and uh, and through color correction, they're trying to match these scenes, but it, you can see right through it. Well, I think even if you don't necessarily like fully look at that and say like, well, that's a recreate, and that's I'm like, I think even subconsciously you you kind of realize you're like, this doesn't feel natural. This doesn't feel genuine. And so you tend to gravitate away from that content. You may not, you know, and, and obviously you have more experience in this than, than some people. And, and you'll probably recognize those things more upfront, but but most people, they just kind of look at that and they, they tend to gravitate away from stuff like that because it doesn't feel genuine. I think really that's what it comes down to is, a rule of thumb, whenever you're presenting, you know, maybe not focus so much on exactly like, okay, I can't do this grip and grin, or I can't do this, or I shouldn't do this or that. Focus more on presenting something in a genuine light, right? whatever that is. And when you, when you come from that perspective, it's more about changing your perspective on how you want to present something uh overall rather than the specifics right. um i think then when you're coming from a right spot a lot of that other stuff you know it, yeah not 100% but a lot of that other stuff will start to fall into place and and one people will gravitate more towards what you're putting out to it will it will come off in a better light so even yeah even if you're smiling, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, storytelling. If you're staying true to your storyline, the kill is a very, very small portion. You know, Cameron was, you know, has said it too, uh, like you were mentioning earlier. Uh, the, the actual kill portion, that's a small part of the storyline. Um, and, and so if you realize, I think in the past, going back to what we used to do 10, 12 years ago, you could almost take and you say, I need these shots, and you had a TV show. Okay, They were all the same. I don't care who shot them, whether it was uh, you know, The Crush or Lee uh, or uh, uh, Driven or, or whoever did is, – it's a show it's on. It was very similar. I think we've gotten away from that a little bit, and I think young filmmakers, young video – uh, videographers that are trying to tell a story need to have the freedom, the confidence, maybe is a better word, to tell their story the way they want to and realize that, okay, I didn't get that shot. That's okay. That shot is not vital to to what the storyline is. Now, that's the reason we love running three, four different cameras at a time. Okay, we might have a GoPro. Now we're not going to film a whole hunt with a GoPro, but if I need to show the intensity of something and I have a GoPro on my bow, if it's legal, mind you, please just for public service, check your local state uh, regulations on putting something <laughs> on your bow. Okay, uh, covered my bases there. But if in a situation like that, I come to full draw and I'm taking that footage from that point in that hunt. It is real. It's the real deal. I didn't do it later. And even if it's a two-second clip, 
it can add to that storyline. And there's some really, especially these guys that are going and filming their own hunts. God bless them. That's the hardest thing to do in the world. Tim Burnett is like a god to me <laughs> because Tim Burnett went out and and still doing it today. Him and Remy go out and and Remy's a amazing individual too. Remy Warren. Uh, they go out and they film all their stuff. And I've done it before. It is really hard. And especially when you're trying to do what we do, you can't do it. You can physically cannot do it because you can't set up the cameras. You can't have everything. When the, when the you know what hits the fan, boom, you put the animal down, right? They have to get it on camera, maybe a secondary angle and do it. It is tough. So guys that are doing it themselves – you know, uh, one thing, uh, Jade Helmick, who is a good friend of mine, and he actually owns a full draw film tour. He used to run camera for us. One of the things I loved about Jade is Jade always on his tripod, he always had a GoPro. So he's filming with this big camera, you know, a cinematic, friggin' awesome shots. But then he has this GoPro. And there was a lot of times when we needed a broader, wide look at what was going on, we could pull from that. Um so there's some there's some uh, interesting ways to do it. And again, it come, boils down to a personal preference. I know that might what I like might be different from what you like, but as a whole, when we're telling stories, I think telling being a storyteller can remain the same. Now you would tell a story perhaps differently than I would, but that's the freshness, that's the uniqueness of somebody's story. So um, yeah, part of it is confidence and not not resigning yourself to doing what everybody else has always done. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com yeah, it's there's so many, so many options out there how to tell your story. Whether it's it's mediums, the the storytelling style, the I mean, it's just infinite number of combinations, and I think that's you know what makes it all so exciting and draws people in and makes a lot of this so uh, so far reaching to all kinds of different people from different backgrounds and and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's super exciting. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, Brian and cam and who, um, who else out there do you think is, is really doing it right as far as putting out some just awesome content, whether that's, whether that's photography or, or even social media videos, television or writing, you know, whatever, whatever that is. Um, John, if you uh, photography, let's talk about photography first. John Hafner. Okay. Um, John Hafner. Uh, I've known John a long time and one of the best photographers out there. Mark Seacat and his crew, uh, crew at Creative, uh, Seacat Creative, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal content. Um, there is uh, Tony Bynum. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Of course, any uh, Rockhouse Media. Uh, Rockhouse uh, Creative, I think, uh, is the official name. Rockhouse Creative, um, great stuff. Uh, Aaron Hitchens, I don't know him real well, but I've gotten a chance to talk to him, and, and I'm 
I follow him because he he tells a freaking story. Um, as I said, Ben O'Brien photography. I mean, I could go. There's a bunch of them. Um, Stephen, um, I call him Shotgun Mike. Um, he actually films for us. Does some great stuff. Dustin Etheridge, uh, Clear Fork Creative, does some great stuff. Garrett Drack. And then uh, when it comes to video, I, I'm I'm a, a huge Rock House fan. I like a lot of the Heartland Bowhunter stuff. Um, Mike and Sh- Sean. I've had say. Sean on the show before. He he is great guy. Absolutely great guy. Yeah, Sean Sean and Mike are two of the nicest individuals you'll ever meet. Most uh, honest, um, just full of integrity. And good guys, uh, guys that you could sit down, whether or not we were uh, in the same industry, you know, trying to, to, to put out content and, and, and entertain and educate hunters. If we just sat down and talked hunting, they're just great guys. Um, I think there's a lot of newer guys out there trying to emulate um, uh, c- captured. Um, they do a lot of stuff for first light. Um, Capture, captured creative? Captured creative. I'm I'm a, I, I've been following them a little bit. I think they got some good stuff out there. Um, there's a lot of guys. Uh, we were talking about this in the office the other day with with everybody about how it's not like when when I got into this. You know, uh, you go out some of the foot some of the stuff that we were doing uh, was really unique in the way that um, we'd be on the ground spotting and stalking whitetails, decoying them in. I mean, nobody was doing that. Um, on film. I mean, people have been doing it for years, but nobody was doing it on film. Um, and we got some of that going and, and now what's happening is you're getting some really good hunters that are really artistic, very creative. And the equipment is amazing nowadays compared to what it used to be. I mean, you used to need to drop 25, to 30,000 to get a rig that was really able to capture the look that we can now get with a $2,500 camera. Um, and then now you look into getting some of the reds, some of the stuff that's shooting in four, six, uh, 4K, 6K, um, and you're talking about the, the video being such high resolution, almost a raw quality that you can pull a, a still out of the video and it's a stunning – and you can edit it in Photoshop like a stunning photograph that was taken from like a, a Canon 1DX or some, you know, something so – a very high-end camera. Um, well, you even look – I've pulled photos from, you know, my GoPro. And once again, you know, I, I'm not comparing this to like a Red or anything, but no. a 4K – it's a 4K camera. It's that with a, a stable, full stabilizing mount under a thousand bucks, and I've pulled not even using the photography feature, which pulls out some high quality photos, but just taking a screenshot from some of these video clips from my elk hunt in September. Uh, you wouldn't have ever guessed. You know, you would have you would have looked at that, and that's a five hundred dollar camera that's you know yeah what yeah. two inches two yeah. inches long and it all boils down to this it all boils down to how you tell that story and the tools are available for these young guys young gals to go out and tell their story in stunning ways and what's going to happen these older people set in their ways that have been doing the same thing for 15 20 years um they're going to get they're going to become obsolete unless they're willing to 
create in a way that tells the story to a new audience because the audience is changing. And let's be honest, when you give a speech or whatever you do that's going to be viewed by other people, you need to know your audience in order to be accepted. I mean, I think that's a pretty simple thing. When you do your podcast, you know your audience. You know what you want to talk about. You know that this subject's probably going to get a lot more views than this subject or or listens in, in a podcast sense. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't do what you're interested in. It just means that's the, the reality of it. And if these people aren't willing to push the envelope and to learn and to and to and to explore new ways of effectively telling to the audience at hand, they're gonna they're gonna disappear. And they are. The tide is turning. New, fresh is coming in, and uh, and doing quality stuff. And and so it's great. Uh, Montana Wild. Um, I'm a big fan of the Montana Wild guys up in Montana, um, and um, they do some amazing stuff. And although they do, unfortunately, they're handicapped really bad because they use Nikons, you know. So uh, sorry about that, boys. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They do. They do some amazing stuff, and it just goes to show you. It doesn't matter what brands on your camera. It's about telling a story. And um, when you all sit down at a, a table, a big round table, and somebody hands you, hands you this lump of clay, and it's all the same, um, it's amazing what story you can tell. Now, if one guy has a worse grade, I don't even, I'm talking out of something I don't know, is there a, a, a worse clay, maybe not as good, and then somebody has better clay? <laughs> could this, could this better clay? Be better than the worst clay? Sure, but it all comes down to the storyteller, the artist, the molder. Um, if you took someone who's a creative, a genius, just an amazing um, artist, and they turn around, they're going to make something with crappy clay better than somebody who's not a very good storyteller. And I think that's where the power in today's society, especially st being a, a storyteller about the outdoors, comes. The tools are getting more on an even playing field. Now your storytelling comes out. Well, and you know, that's, it's the same thing as with hunting, uh, you know, creating amazing content, telling a story. It's the same thing as hunting. You can give, honestly, someone like me, the best gear in the world. And I can, I can go out and chase, try and chase elk. And it may not turn out so well. You can give, Someone like Cam Haynes or, uh, you know, someone that's just a epic hunter, uh, some plaid, a, a pair of jeans and a and an old tent and, a you know, older bow. And they're still probably going to go out there and kill something. Yeah, Cam's not a good one because he just run the animal down. Uh, but I, I, I just chase it down, tackle it, and <laughs> yeah. he'll, he'll run it till it's 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 till it's just so tired, and then you know it'll it'll just give up. Um, no, I I think you're right. I think that's a great point. Is is our you know my grandpa killed some amazing animals back in the day, and he wore jeans and a and a flannel shirt, you know, and and then uh, in New Mexico at the time you didn't have to wear blaze orange, and so he wore his John Deere. Cap, guess what? <laughs> the animals didn't know. He, you know. Um, so I, I do think, though, that that if 
some, take someone like yourself and you learn two or three new tricks from a hunting experience, the next time you come back, you're going to be more successful. Same thing with storytelling. You know, you come in here and you did it, okay, and you realize, okay, the composition of this shot really needs to fall in this at this point in the timeline to, to truly affect the emotion and the attention of the viewer and stuff like that. So, so uh, it's, it's the same old adage, the guy sitting around the campfire who understands inflection of voice, understands proper uh, pregnant pauses, you know, when to pause, when not to pause. In his storytelling, all of a sudden, you again, you look around in the firelight and there's eyeballs just glued to him. Whereas then you go to the next guy to tell a story and everybody's checking their phone or their, you know, uh, because of the difference. And so I, I still to this day, when I get around a good storyteller, I don't care what they're telling a story about. I just zone in and I... I listen to how they deliver, and I've learned so much about presentation and um, in a real way. That's the reason I'm not Jim Gaffigan, okay? Right? <laughs> Jim is hilarious. I could tell those same stories, but I, I could tell them word for word, and if they would not be the same because of his technique, his storytelling ability – Again, in, in a humorous way, versus mine. Um, but I, I'd be hard pressed. Actually, he probably could tell one of my hunting stories, and they would be hilarious just because of who he is. But um. <laughs> it would be interesting. Uh, well, to do to do an experiment where if you know you still had footage from one of your very first hunts or something, you still had all that raw footage to go back and you know whatever ten years later, just completely you know, fresh, keep the old edit out of your mind and just re-edit this, this hunt. I've done it. Have you? I've done it. And I, you know what I always do? What the heck was I thinking? That's, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, why was I getting this shot? This is horrible. Um, but I didn't know the five other things that I know now when I was shooting that. But yeah, even just a basic storyline. And I've even thought about taking some of those old footage and, and narrating over it. And using a lot of raw footage mm-hmm. about and, – and and using it as a training tool, I, I haven't done it because it's not like I need another thing on my plate. But I think that that actually is a great idea because you could actually go back and say, here's the mistakes I made. And then likewise, maybe afterwards you show a piece that's more recent showing those mistakes not being made or something different, a, a different technique utilized. And it is. It's a great training tool. Like I say, I can't go back on the – uh, back in the, in my archives and watch old stuff without just being extremely um, embarrassed by it. And I think, but I think as an, as an artist, and that's what we are as a storyteller, we're kind of an artist in, in some way, shape or form. Um, you're never done. I've never edited a piece that was perfect. I've never, uh, been able to deliver a painting, not that I'm a, a, a great painter, but I used to draw a lot. I've never done a drawing and gone, man, it's done. It's done. I'm done. I've never done that. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know anybody who has. That is artistic because we can always get better. We can always be better. Now, sometimes you run out of, of actual materials to make it better, and that's when you have to say, okay, that's the best I can do. But we could always look at that and go, man, if I only had this. 
if I only had this. Or, or, and this is where I think deadlines are important, we run up against a deadline. <laughs> and I think for, for us as a, as, a, as a TV show and as a filmmaker, and those are two different things, making a film and making a TV, I talk about this all the time, making a television show and making a film are two different beasts. Um, you could make a film out of the exact same footage as a TV show, and it would, it would be different. It, it might have some similarities, but it, the feel of it would be different. Um, so, I, I, I really think that it's uh, it, anyway. That, again, you get me talking about that. It, it would be a unique challenge, and maybe something I should think about doing sometime in the future because it would be interesting to look back on that old stuff. So if people wanted to find uh, find all your storytelling online, where's the best place to check you out? Well, we are um, television show Sportsman's Channel in 2018 will be on the first quarter, uh, 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday. We're actually moving uh, for the first quarter. We, we've always ran the fourth and first quarter, and uh, Sportsman's Channel is moving us to third and fourth quarter, but we're still running the first quarter. So next year, we're going to be on for three quarters, which is kind of cool. And we're going into our 10th year, which is really cool. So uh, we're going to be in the third and fourth quarter. We're going to be coming out with kind of a a decade, uh, you know, kind of celebrating that as a decade. And in the first quarter, we're going to be actually looking back on some of our older hunts um, where we talk about some of the situations and, and not necessarily the, the artistic or the, the cinematic or the uh, editing it, produ- production side, but the actual hunt itself. And in the first quarter, Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time um, is the primary sh- uh, airing for that on the Sportsman's Channel. Um, and then we'll be in the third and fourth quarter on Friday nights at, uh, at 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And uh, that's pretty exciting. And then, of course, if you want to stick with us day to day, Instagram, I love that. I love that so much more than Facebook, although we do, we are Outback Outdoors on Facebook, and then Trevin Stoltzfus on Facebook, too. I have my own account. And then same on Instagram, uh, Outback Outdoors and, and Trevin Stoltzfus. Check us out. Come uh, be a part of it. We do tweet, but um, I don't do enough mundane, short things to tweet much. <laughs> because uh, it's hard to in those m- m- lack of characters to be able because part of we'll show a photo which you could show on Twitter, but uh, then you want to engage people. What is this about? What's going on here? And sometimes that's hard to do in that short amount of characters. Char- caricatures. How do you say that? <laughs> characters. Yes. Oh, man. right. It's just characters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Characters. I'm a dork. <laughs> um, alrighty. So if uh, as we're winding down here, um, if somebody came up to you and said, "Trevin, I, you know, I just am new to all this. I want to get into hunting, but I just, you know, I, I don't really have anyone that that taught me about this. But I'm interested. I'm a little intimidated. There's a lot to learn, a lot to figure out." Um, what would you tell that person? What, what maybe words of encouragement would you have for them? I would say, how bad do you want it first? Because what you have to do in order to truly be successful is you need to find a mentor. You need to find somebody who can pass on their hunting heritage to you. 
It might be an uncle. It might be a grandpa. It might be a buddy that you met now that you're shooting a bow and you go to the archery shop and they have a 3D shoot on Tuesday nights indoors during the winter. And you're shooting and you meet this guy and you guys hit it off and he has been successful. Uh, 10% of hunters kill 90% of the game. Okay. Let me say that again. 10% of bow hunters kill 90% of the game. And there's a reason. You need to find one of those killers and you need to be like a sponge and soak it up. It will cut the learning curve so immensely. Okay. If you want to be a filmmaker and you want to capture all your hunting adventures, same thing. You need to find somebody and you need to let them mentor you or, you know, and sometimes that's, that's easier said than done. It's hard to find somebody who will invest in you, but we as a hunting community should be looking for people to mentor. That's our job. I, I preach it from the, from the mountaintops. Hey, you got a neighbor kid and you have a son that you take hunting, get that neighbor kid to come with your son and take him hunting because it could change his life. And likewise, it happened to me. My dad didn't hunt. My grandpa and my uncles did. And look at me, I am ate up with it and it's, it's a lifestyle and, uh, it's it's something that we should hold near and dear and we should pass on. We shouldn't hold near and dear and hold on to it and not, oh, it's our, our trade secrets. No, we need to let that out. So so my answer to that person is how bad do you want it because you're going to have to go and you might have to find. And then the other thing I guess on the end of that is shut your mouth. Forget everything you think you know and learn. Soak it up. Then put it into practice. And you're going to make a ton of mistakes, even though you, even if you have this, this shortened learning curve. But the only way you can learn something tr- truly is by doing it yourself. Going back to that reference on, on the artist in the clay, I could have the best artist in the world standing over me telling me how to do something. But until I do it, it doesn't become my own. And the first ashtray I make out of that clay probably might look like a basically a piece of junk but by the fifth eighth ninth time i'm making something that actually has some beauty to it and and i'm putting my soul into it same with hunting i (laughs) i was so invested in what you were saying (laughs) i just completely that's all i have to say about that (laughs) i was as as forrest gump said oh man i was just i was i was i was into it i was waiting waiting for the next piece of wisdom um no, well, absolutely. And, and, and there's one more piece. Never quit. Never quit. You, 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 it takes 15 seconds. It takes 15 seconds, maybe even less than that, to be successful. No, I don't want to use that word because just because you don't kill doesn't mean you're not successful. To, to harvest, to kill an animal, it, takes, it doesn't take that long. And so what you have to do is here you've invested all this time and stuff like that. You go out there and you can't find any elk. Don't quit. There, if there's elk in there, they might not be right there. Go find them. But by quitting, a lot of you'll see a lot of guys do this. They go back to camp. They get comfortable. The next thing you know, they're breaking camp and they're like, ah, just no elk. Well, dude, you got three more days. Go somewhere else. Nah. Well, okay. How bad do you want it? So. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for hopping on the show with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to sit and talk. Yeah, well, thank you. And if one last word is take somebody hunting. If you're listening to this and you have – heck, 
maybe you fishing's your thing. Take a kid fishing. Take not your, and it doesn't count if it's your own. I want you to take one of their friends because we are – the fact of the matter is we have more people dying of of natural causes every day in our outdoor industry, in our hunting and fishing community. They are dying of natural causes than we are recruiting, and that – do the math. It's going to – Drop, 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 drop. Become members of these organizations like Mule Deer Foundation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Become members of them, of those type of organizations. Support the groups that support what you love that are going to give this. And I know I'm getting on a soapbox here, but that this is vital. We, if, if my daughter and her kids are going to be able to do what I love to do, we have to fight for this because there are people that want to take it, and they love it, and they love the beauty, but they don't want any management. And and we've seen what that will do, okay? We've seen how animals don't manage themselves very good. It doesn't work. We need to step in there. We need to give them places to live. We need to provide them with uh, uh, you know uh, numbers that are literally – scientifically proven carrying capacities for this amount of land and that's how many numbers can uh, of animals can subsist or sustain themselves on that and these are organizations that do that so um number one take a kid hunting number two uh, get off your butt and become a you know become a part of the of this conservation effort which is going to ensure that we have this to pass on to our grandkids no, that's awesome. And thank you again so much for hopping on the show. I appreciate it. You got it. My pleasure. And and any any time, give me a holler. I'm I always love talking hunting and and conservation and and filmmaking. I I'm a I'm a freaking nerd when it comes to telling a story. I love talking about that. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 50 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all head on over to our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com/slash 50 where you can get links to everything we talked about in the show. But until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. So I'll ask beforehand. Dude, I, uh, Trev- I've been called Trevon, Travis, Trevor, Kevin, all my life, no one seems to just realize it's just Trevin, like Kevin and Trevor thrown together. <laughs> a life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.